and welcome to this edition of the Hindu's weekly podcast Parle where we discuss contemporary policy issues and challenges this is the cast root your host for the week we are discussing the implementation of india's fuel pricing policy and the problems it throws up for consumers oil marketing companies and the broader economy as we all know after a 137 day break Uh, since the government last cut excise duties uh, on the eve of the bawli last year retail prices over the last 8 9 days have been rising up again uh, in several parts of the country now they have crossed rupees 100 a liter mark again uh, while lpg cylinder prices have also been hiked by rupees 50 of course we know that uh, a lot of this is uh, because of the conflict in ukraine russia escalating uh, global crude prices uh, but there are of course uh, uh, question marks about india's uh, pricing strategy for petroleum products especially because india had officially adapted adopted the reform uh, uh, of deregulating petroleum pricing uh, quite a few years ago and uh, uh, we have with us today uh, to discuss this uh, issue and the uh, possible solutions to this uh, you know knotty issue that we face in policy making We have with us to uh, ima- uh, to discuss this eminent economist Dr. Dikke Shivasta. Uh, he is the chief policy advisor at EY India, uh, an ardent academic who was once a professor of economics at the Banaras Hindu University. He went on to become the director at Madras School of Economics, and uh, he's a uh, renowned expert in public finance and fiscal policy. Has worked with several of India's finance commissions and was a, even a member of the Twelfth Finance Commission. Uh, he's also been associated with several committees set up by central and state governments, as well as the Reserve Bank of India, including he had he was the head of the uh, Committee on Fiscal Statistics uh, set up by the National Statistical Commission in 2017. Uh, Dr. Shivastav uh, is accompanied by Dr. S. V. Sharma, uh, the former advisor for the petroleum sector at the Erstwhile Planning Commission. Uh, Dr. Sharma, an IIT Bombay alumnus, has worked extensively on India's energy challenges, energy economics, and of course the dynamics of fuel pricing. And he has also steered several attempts in recent decades to manage India's energy transition uh, from excessive dependence on imported oil and gas resources. He played a key role in setting up Petronet LNG, which now accounts for 45% of the country's LNG supplies, and has. Also helped estimate India's carbon emissions position uh, and the sustainability uh, for the COP fifteen seven summit in two thousand nine, as well as the uh, COP twenty one summit at Paris uh, deal with climate change. Um, let me begin by welcoming both of you to the parley and uh, sh- agreeing to share time so that our listeners can glean from your insights. Uh, welcome, sir. Thank you, thank you, Vikas. and before we go into the uh, you know present challenge and the future challenges the current uh, policy situation poses for india may i request you uh, dr sharma to give us some glimpse of how india's fuel pricing regime has evolved in recent years uh, culminating in the uh, so called deregulated pricing regime dr sharma well uh, the story of uh, dismantling of oil prices starts from uh, other uh, year 1997 and uh, during uh, 1995 96 uh, the government uh, was having an import dependence of about uh, 65 70% and that's why government thought that yes uh, the oil prices which were uh, cost plus basis pooling all the resources of uh, oil companies uh, including uh, exploration and production refining and marketing and then deciding a price uh, to the consumers was uh, being uh, uh, was being followed and that was a uh, administered price mechanism but in 95 96 when uh, we started having a larger burden of uh, imported oil the government uh, decided that uh, the the prices should be made market determined the, uh, the fuel prices uh, petrol diesel and all other prices should be made market determined and accordingly government set up an nirmal singh committee report which gave its uh, recommendations in late 1996 and then through a cabinet note uh, government uh, of course uh, decided 
to dismantle the oil pricing mechanism, which was on a pool price or on a cost plus uh, price basis. Uh, now, from uh, 1997 onward to 2002 March, the decision was taken that uh, the dismantling should move at 75% in the first year, then 78.5% uh, in the second year, 82.5% in third year, and about 87% uh, per, uh, of uh, crude oil prices in uh, fourth year, and uh, then ultimately going down to the, to the 100% by 1st April of 2002. Now, in 2002, 1st April 2002, uh, Dr. Mr. Ram Nayak was... Uh, the petroleum minister, and he, since oil prices were comfortable, he announced uh, the oil price dismantling with some uh, little, uh, uh, little uh, subsidies which were, which were being given on uh, transport and uh, and of course in the northeast region they were uh, restored and rest of the uh, prices were dismantled. Uh, now till uh, 2004 mid. Uh, Things went on quite well, but then uh, from 2004 onward, oil prices started moving up, uh, and uh, the new government uh, came to the center. And uh, the Congress government, when they saw that uh, the oil prices are going up, and the the, the consumers would uh, get impacted, they restored back to the cost plus basis mechanism. Now, 2004, 2005. Uh, the average price was somewhere close to about $48. 2006, it was around $69. 2007, it was around $80, $89. And uh, then, of course, 2008, uh, prices peaked at $143. But, of course, uh, uh, the average price for 2008 was somewhere around uh, $69 put together. Now, this was the kind of mechanism which was happening. Then 2009, again, prices moving, uh, moved up uh, to $89 per barrel average. And then 9 to 2014, they were uh, hovering between and $100 and $114, $120 to about $100 per barrel. So that's where uh, the government uh, had taken a decision not to pass on all the price burden to the consumer. And uh, again, I mean, uh, the Congress government at that point in time decided uh, to subsidize uh, the product prices, especially the transport fuel prices, both petrol, diesel, as well as the LPG and kerosene through a mechanism called uh, provision of under recoveries, where uh, under recoveries to be given to the oil marketing companies on the under-recovered price of uh, of LPG, kerosene, diesel, and petrol. Now, how this uh, mechanism was being followed that uh, whatever uh, uh, price uh, upstream companies were getting, which was, uh, let's say, the market price was $110, but up upstream companies were restricted to, let's say, about $48, and the balance was to go in the pool mechanism to compensate the prices. Besides that, uh, till uh, 2008, 9, 10, government had uh, given 1,42,203 crores uh, of uh, money to compensate uh, the lower prices in terms of uh, oil bonds. But beyond that, uh, government uh, from 2009, 10 onward, government uh, provided the cash subsidies uh, to the oil companies who were bearing under recovery. So that was the uh, uh, the mechanism which was being followed till uh, 2014, 15, 2015, of course, uh, the oil price, uh, prices again came down. They came down to about uh, $50 per barrel, and it was a happy situation for uh, the current government. And uh, they again started implementing uh, uh, the market uh, price mechanism. And uh, yes, uh, the prices uh, remained uh, at a low level of 50 to 60 dollars per barrel on an average basis and uh, yes uh, the, the market price mechanism could be developed much could could be created much easily without giving much more uh, discomfort to the consumers of high prices to start with uh, but again i mean uh, the high prices are uh, 
currently, which is, uh, let us say, uh, petrol, diesel, which is uh, running between 80, 90, 100, 110, is largely due to two factors. Uh, one is, of course, uh, the higher uh, level of excise on uh, on on uh, the transport fuel, uh, which also leads to uh, the effect on the VAT collection, and that makes the prices further uh, higher. Besides, also that uh, the rupee has depreci- depreciated a lot, uh, and of course, the import share has gone uh, from seventy percent to about. Uh, 86, 87%. And these are the factors which are leading to leading to a high oil price situation. And of course, the recent uh, phenomena, which is uh, post-COVID, uh, uh, the OPEC countries have not released production quota, what they were to release, because currently the production levels are still at around 98, 99, 98 million barrels per day, while uh, their production capacities in 2019-20 were close to about 101 million barrels per day. Of course, uh, the recent crisis uh, that's uh, Ukraine and Russia, that's, of course, uh, let's hope that it gets over and it it, it remains a short-term crisis and the prices uh, come down. But uh, yes, uh, OPEC should also release its uh, complete quota so that, uh, so that uh, the prices cool off. Thank you. I think these are some of the some of the areas which uh, come to my mind when uh, coming to the uh, to the uh, administered price. Uh, I mean, uh, trans, uh, transfer uh, coming from administered price mechanism to to the market price mechanism. The good thing about uh, the bold implementation of reforms uh, of uh, the market price mechanism is that uh, whatever uh, LPG kerosene or even diesel, where the large-scale diversion used to take place, and uh, currently the subsidy is being channelized through direct benefit transfer, have made uh, it possible for the government to to restrict uh, the diversion and the black marketing of fuel to almost uh, zero level. So that's one of the very positive aspects of uh, uh, dismantling the oil prices and uh, also making it uh, market price determined. But of course, uh, the excise issue is one of the areas which uh, is debatable. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Shivasa. Uh, you know, given the sense that uh, we do have technically a deregulated pricing regime, but we have this practice in recent years where there is a stop and start approach to price changes. Uh, as soon as elections in critical states or even Lok Sabha are announced, we find that there's a mysterious pause in oil prices, irrespective of what's happening in global markets. So apart from the implications for oil marketing companies, how would you say this distorts the behavior of the uh, economic actors and also how it affects inflation trends um, in, in general? And specifically, given that in the coming year, we're looking at uh, demand picking up with economic recovery, picking up steam, uh, you know, how critical is now uh, uh, overhang of high oil prices for the Indian economy? That was a wonderful narration and an overview of the way the fuel pricing policy evolved in India. And the broader lessons that we derive from this is that the government has not been able to stick either to the earlier regime or to the current regime whenever there are global price pressures that go above a certain threshold. So when the variations are within a certain range, the mechanism that was in vogue earlier or now uh, has been able to work. But the moment there is an additional pressure on global crude prices, Then there are political economy reasons and there are also sound economic reasons that government uh, decides to deviate from the stated policy, either temporarily or sometimes uh, in a more uh, regular way. Now, the story started, and there is a lesson that uh, Dr. Sharma drew, that when we had that uh, APM mechanism, 
uh, which was formally ended in 2002 last few years of those years what was this mechanism was accompanied by oil the oil pool accounts and the idea was that we will regulate the price stabilize the price so that consumers as well as industrial users would be exposed to a stable price regime which would be best to give the uh, investment decisions signal the investment decisions that would be optimal but the oil pool accounts in the late uh, 90s started to develop big deficits uh, because the uh, deficits the to fill up the deficits the corresponding transfer from the exchequer was not getting done and at that time apart from the various committees that uh, were mentioned uh, i recall that uh, there was a ministry of finance sponsored is study on estimation of direct and indirect subsidies or explicit and implicit subsidies that was conducted by the national institute of public finance and policy i recall this because i headed the team that uh, conducted this a discussion paper was presented on this and it was presented to parliament and there was a decision that uh, most of the implicit subsidies we would uh, reduce in volume and uh, because there were lots of market uh, price related distortions that were coming out and the government was not able to recover the uh, cost of publicly provided uh, private goods and petroleum prices also being a private good uh, we had recommended in that uh, parliamentary paper also that we should go for a, a deadministered pricing regime but even as it was introduced as mentioned by dr sharma it was uh, partial to begin with and again and again there was a deviation as soon as uh, global prices started to rise so the issue is that when global prices cross a threshold we give up uh, right now we say temporarily but uh, sometimes when it doesn't work we have to really re- revisit this entire issue because the indian economy has become very vulnerable to global crude price pressures and you had asked a question about the adverse impact on inflation the adverse impact on growth in fact the global crude prices uh, when if they are passed on fully to the consumers and industrial users will generate uh, major economic effects right now high retail price inflation uh, will generate an income effect which leads to a subdued consumption expenditure recovery this is the our present problem which is arising because of this pressure on retail price and this has an income effect so right now be after covid the economy has not been able to recover fully and investment has not taken off because of the fact that private final consumption expenditure uh, has not fully recovered and there is a very strong uh, adverse income effect so consumption expenditure is not uh, taking up but also there is cost escalation and uh, industrial investment has also not uh, taken off so the two things have combined and this is having an adverse impact on inflation and also on growth so government is now faced with a very serious problem if it allows this effect to be passed on fully then the uh, economic recovery after covid will take more time because it has to allow the consumption expenditure also to recover to pre covid levels and if it does not do so then there are obviously very serious fiscal costs uh, and uh, so the the issue now is who is going to bear the burden of this uh, costs that are going to be carried forward would it be central government would it be state governments because if some of the price increase has to be absorbed by them uh, then they will have to bear a fiscal cost of this and uh, if it is fully passed on then there would be adverse growth effects on the economy so the issue is very critical it is also long term because we are not able to manage 
a meaningful uh, de-administered price uh, over the long period of time. And we make again and again uh, short-term compromises. And uh, there are these political economy reasons and there is this economic cycle reason. And therefore, the question now is open again. And where do we go from here? So let me stop there and let, let us carry this discussion forward. Just to take that thought forward, sir, in the short term, the solution could be, of course, only uh, way out possibly could be a reduction in excise duties or taxes, which, like you said, will have a fiscal cost. But uh, given that the government has had fairly healthy direct tax revenues this year, uh, and overall tax revenues are also fairly healthy. Do you think there is some room for uh, at least some excise duty reduction? I I would say that yes, there is a in the a short run in taking this FY22 revised estimates and FY23 prospects slightly better than budget estimates. Direct taxes, buoyancy and growth rate that is expected. He, uh, does provide a certain fiscal legroom uh, which can absorb a, to some extent a reduction in uh, excise duty on petroleum products uh, which would be one option that should be explored alongside central government and state governments should come together because there is this kind of buoyancy also uh, with the state vat on petroleum products. And if they can coordinate their decisions and balance the burden of adjustment amongst them, then I think there is a certain legroom available to absorb some of the cost uh, that is arising. Uh, but this is true only for the current period. Uh, if you look at slightly uh, longer term history, and go back to 18, 19, 19, 20, even before we came to COVID, the reforms on corporate income tax uh, and the expected reform on personal income tax and the GST reforms all proved to be uh, have, having had a revenue adverse impact. And therefore, the overall capacity of the central government uh, to absorb uh, any increase in global crude prices had become limited before we hit the uh, COVID threshold. As such, you will find that GST is, is still not revenue neutral. Corporate income tax is still uh, not fully recovered. And if investment does not take place, then it does not have that kind of longer term uh, expected growth or buoyancy. So in the short run, I would agree that there is a certain legroom. Let us take uh, recourse to that. But I think we have to recognize that the tax GDP ratio, particularly of the central government after CIT reform and GST, has not touch the old peak levels and therefore they, we continue to live with uh, important constraints. That's a very critical point actually. Uh, Dr. Sharma, you know, given that uh, this whatever version of deregulating pricing that we've seen in India since the last, uh, like you elaborately explained, how do you think, has this been fair for Indian consumers? If you know, uh, when oil prices were benign in 2015, the government raised excise duties and says, and at that time, if you remember, oil minister Dharmendra Pradhan had said uh, in an interview to us, in fact, he said that this was to protect consumers from a negative shock when oil prices rise. So is it, and you know, we've not really seen when prices globally fall, we've not really seen that translating into rate cuts for consumers uh, on the retail level. So is it therefore correct to say that Indian consumers have not really seen the benefits of the downside of oil prices, but have continued to sort of, you know, pay these high prices, despite a so-called deregulated regime. Uh, Dr. Srivastava said uh, two, three things. Uh, one is, uh, what uh, is your take on economy and economic growth? And if you really want to contain the inflation and and also have a healthy economic growth. And uh, the diesel uh, 
and the fuels being uh, the ultimate engine to the economic growth, you have to have uh, somewhat affordable prices, which uh, economy can absorb and grow accordingly. So that's one part. Now, I'll just give you a few numbers. Either you have a healthy revenue generation or you give a fillip to economy through lower prices. So the government had to choose between these two. And uh, yes, uh, one has to take a call on that. Uh, Now, I would just, uh, I mean, I have a table in front of me where uh, contribution to petroleum sector to exchequer. In 2014-15, when... uh, uh, the government came into power. It was uh, the total contribution to the central exchequer was one lakh seventy-two thousand and sixty-five crores. Uh, now this uh, in two thousand twenty twenty-one went up to four lakh fifty-three thousand eight hundred and twelve crores. So there is an addition of about uh, three lakh crores, uh, and now this is uh, largely come due to enhanced enhancing uh, the excise. Also that, uh, yes, uh, excise has been reduced uh, la- uh, last year, sometimes in November November onward, but uh, again, the impact uh, has not come. The excise today on petrol is around 29 rupees and diesel is around 23, 24 rupees. Uh, now we have a higher level of excise. So it is government's call to go which way they want to go and uh, whether to have higher revenue collection from uh, uh, the oil resources or to have a higher growth where people feel uh, comfortable and a lot of uh, vocations also come up uh, with uh, low diesel prices or low fuel prices. Uh, I mean, the small scale. uh, Also that, yes, uh, this is the overall uh, central sector uh, revenue collection. The excise has gone up from 99,000 crores to 3,71,000 crores. So it's it's a, it's a, uh, the larger uh, collection has been uh, on account of uh, the excessive excise on both petrol and diesel. Of course, uh, the states have also benefited uh, by this uh, enhancement of excise, but then uh, their uh, contribution has risen from one lakh sixty one lakh sixty thousand five hundred and fifty crores to two lakh seventeen thousand six hundred and fifty crores. So it's it's a dual effect which consumer has to bear. The higher excise is there, the higher uh, collection on VAT also comes, but VAT collection is not uh, gone up that much. Uh, now, yes, uh, government has to take call whether to reduce excise or uh, go ahead. But uh, yes, uh, government, uh, in fact, uh, I mean, I, I, it's, it's not only this government, but uh, earlier government also. I mean, they have uh, depended largely on uh, the oil sector for its uh, for their revenue generation. I mean, over the last 20, 25, 30 years, uh, one should have diversified the uh, financial resource uh, revenue generation from different sectors. But yes, uh, if you depend only on uh, on oil sector, which is uh, the real engine for the growth, uh, yes, it makes a difference to the growth. Uh, and have high, high, high oil prices, it makes a difference on the growth side and also the inflationary trends uh, because, yes, everyone depends upon oil. But you, th- you think it's, I mean, Indian consumers may hope for a future when sometime they will benefit from lower oil prices passing through to them instead of being replaced by taxes. <laughs> no, we are having a double whammy effect. Now, this is the time, 137 days time, OPEC is not releasing its production quota and they want supplies to be tighter and demand is increasing globally. So obviously the price, uh, excluding Ukrainian effect, uh, they were uh, they were at around $80, $90 per barrel. Now Ukrainian and Russia effect has made it uh, $120, $110, $130 kind of thing. Now what happens is that uh, Russia being one of the largest producers of oil, as well as uh, the gas, uh, is uh, enjoying two things. One, they are enjoying the war and also enjoying the very high oil prices, which gives them uh, high revenues. Also that uh, they are uh, in uh, collaboration with uh, 
uh, OPEC countries because what happens whenever uh, the production uh, cut issue comes, uh, the OPEC countries always uh, discuss issue with the with the non-OPEC countries on the production cut side, which includes uh, the Norway, Russia, and uh, Norway and Russia because these are the, the large producer exporter countries. So put together, I mean, they agree for the production cuts and. Uh, Yes, uh, if you have a pro- uh, production cut, uh, certainly, I mean, uh, if you have tight supply, the oil prices are bound to increase in high, I mean, increasing demand uh, uh, situation. So that that's what has happened. And now this uh, Ukrainian and uh, Russian war has uh, further escalated the oil prices. Uh, but I believe that, yes, in a couple of months, uh, one or two months, uh, they should come back to around Seventy dollars. Uh, OPEC should also be should become liberal to release additional production quota because whenever they have made and promised uh, to increase quota, they have not done so over last one year. So there's some estimates. Uh, you know, for instance, Moody says that India's oil companies have lost about two or two billion dollars in this in this period where crude costs were rising, but petrol prices in India were static. So, given that Indian uh, oil marketing companies uh, typically have this 15 days average procurement uh, prices that they use to arrive at a retail price, and given that there have been such wide fluctuation in the last 3-4 months, of course, I'm sure they've made some losses by absorbing the high costs, but there might be some times where uh, they might have made some gains also over these uh, fluctuations. Well, that data is also in front of me. You see, well, what has happened is that uh, when uh, you you mentioned about 137 days uh, stationary cycle, now at that point in time when the 4th November uh, the prices were frozen, the oil prices touched somewhere close to around uh, 80 $85 per barrel. Again, for a month or so, they went down to $70 per barrel. And then uh, escalation uh, and rumors of uh, Ukrainian and Russian war further increased it up to $90 per barrel, $90, $95 per barrel. And when the war started, they went up to $110, $120, $130. And uh, yes, uh, that's where uh, the things have gone. But uh, you see, all these uh, prices. Uh, they were all uh, through the speculations because uh, the Brent prices are quoted on uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And uh, and yes, uh, whosoever puts uh, a higher bid on the future, uh, oil futures, yes, uh, that, that uh, makes uh, the prevailing uh, Brent oil prices. Uh, now that is happening. People are having money in their pockets, so they are putting in... Uh, higher um, quotes on the oil future, and that's how, I mean, the prices. And uh, number of times what happens is that the producers also put in their money on uh, such futures. Either they do it uh, directly or they do it uh, through their uh, bankers, financial um, agencies and all. But again, I mean, uh, because it benefits them, and uh, yes, uh, the importers uh, do get impacted uh, to a large extent. Now, you see, now this uh, uh, four-month cycle between November, December, January, and February, where we have seen oil prices moving up from uh, $70 per barrel uh, to $130 per barrel, the first cycle, I mean, the Q Q3 part, uh, November and December, that makes, uh, of course, October, November, and December, that time the oil price uh, uh, oil oil prices averaged uh, was uh, somewhere close to about uh, 79 dollars per barrel or so and uh, now the new cycle uh, the the q4 cycle today uh, of course we are almost completing three month cycle this uh, year, uh, the oil price uh, would be averaging uh, over and above $100 per barrel. It could be somewhere close to $105 to $110 per 
100, $105 per barrel or so. Now, if uh, companies are working uh, their uh, pricing on $90 per barrel basis, obviously, in the first cycle of uh, this uh, four months, they would have had the, gained a little bit, but the second cycle, they would have been lost. Also, that uh, the oil companies, uh, because uh, the inventory buildup is taking place, uh, oil companies would have had gained on refining margins. Uh, so these are uh, some of the factors which uh, really impact that, yes, oil companies would have gained uh, during low price period of uh, first cycle of high prices, high and low prices, and then, of course, second cycle. So that balancing uh, would be there. But some gains on refining margins, uh, though it purely goes to the company's account, they perhaps would uh, be sharing also that uh, I believe that uh, government would be working out some mechanism where the, they would uh, support uh, the oil companies in some way uh, through through uh, uh, through uh, some kind of uh, uh, some kind of. Uh, uh, under recovery is being paid uh, from uh, uh, different sources. Uh, of course, uh, I don't know. I mean, how the government is going to compensate oil companies, but yes, uh, there should be some mechanism being worked out by the government where they, where they can compensate the oil companies to some extent. Now, two billion dollars uh, normally for oil companies, where uh, uh, the under recoveries uh, in 2012-13 used to be 1,68,000 crores. So $2 billion shock is uh, not a big shock for the government as far as uh, uh, the economy is concerned. So that, that's, that's the way things are. Fair enough, sir. So Dr. Srivastava, this uh, point that Dr. Sharma raised that, you know, we should figure out also some mechanism to uh, pay the oil marketing companies for any external losses they face because of the pricing pressures uh, but you know the oil bonds uh, the this government has been particularly critical of the oil bonds that were issued by the upa and even in one year by the atal bihari Vajpayee government so what get your sense on you know uh, what do you make of oil bonds whether they're an efficient way of dealing with this or is there other a direct transfer from the fiscal uh, pool is a smarter and quicker cleaner way to do this. Uh, what's your take, sir? Well, obviously, the oil bonds are a very inefficient intervention because they only tend to postpone the problem. Most fiscal reforms uh, that we have carried out, it has been argued that uh, oil bonds or earlier they used to be off-budget. Any off-budget uh, mechanism of borrowing, any other non-transparent means of postponing these fiscal burdens are uh, inconsistent with the meaningful uh, construction of fiscal reforms. Right now, the options of the government became very limited because of the lack of a macro-fiscal vision of fiscal reforms. For example, the corporate income tax used to contribute in FY15 34.5% of gross centers gross taxes. That contribution came down to 22.6% in FY21. And even in FY22, it is still 25.2% which indicates that the government, even in this better year, does not have the necessary fiscal capacity to absorb the burden of sudden and sharp rises in global crude prices. And uh, this is so because the timing of fiscal reforms, the rate reduction that led to this massive erosion of uh, growth and buoyancy in corporate income tax has really tied the hands of the central government. And GST also has not helped because it is still not revenue neutral. Uh, so as such, there is uh, it is difficult to recommend that we should rely on oil bonds. I think we have to develop uh, and it is also very clear that from 2002 onwards, our strategy for dealing 
with the vulnerability of the indian economy to global crude price rises on a trend basis uh, has not been that capacity has not been developed so we actually have a myopic view then when it is sudden and sharp rise above trend we develop some short short term measures like these oil uh, bonds and so on but they it has not been the case that knowing fully well that the dependence of the indian economy on imported uh, crude oil uh, has been rising uh, it is now uh, close to 85% above 85% global crude prices are rising and our dependence are also rising and uh, there has not been any long term strategy to deal with this so all the time we have short term and myopic measures and uh, our reforms are also not well coordinated this is why we keep landing ourselves into such macro uh, uh, situations that are so adverse for growth and inflation uh even uh, uh, what was uh, being assessed by dr sharma uh, we were making calculations that uh, if from an average of 75 if the average in fy 23 settles to 100 uh, dollars per barrel the growth rate would be uh, would would fall by a margin of 70 basis points inflation would increase by a margin of 100 basis points ceteris paribus so these are major uh, adverse macroeconomic uh, effects soon after the deleterious impact of covid 19 so we have failed to develop the necessary capacity and policy to cope with this well known trend of increasing dependence and increasing global prices on trend basis we get lost in the short term volatility correct also you know looking at the bigger picture implications of uh, you know the stop and start pricing approach you know how does this for instance affect uh, you know interest from global investors in the oil and gas sector uh, <laughs> even uh, for those who might be bidding for this investment of say bpcl this trend where you know though there is no the government officially distances itself from all these price pauses but uh, it's it's sort of uh, especially around elections i mean is that a red flag for investors uh, who might want to enter it is it is definitely a red flag uh, because uh, investors uh, study very closely government's uh, behavioral responses uh to various kinds of uh, shocks that emanate from the world economy and this is stop uh and uh, start policy obviously indicates a lack of stability but everybody understands that now the stop policy may not be resorted to for some time because there are no il- uh, elections around this round the corner and we have a gap of about 2 uh, years to to adjust matters but e- e- investors look at this but they also look at the prospect of the indian economy and e- see their behave- their investment decisions are based on what is the capacity utilization ratio is it increasing or not now unless capacity utilization ratio increases to something like 75 to 80 new investment decisions will kept will be postponed and uh, this cycle can only be revived by reviving consumption expenditure so we you have a vicious cycle for policy makers right now so suppose we grant that the stop policy is over we will now keep adjusting now as we keep adjusting and prices become higher uh for industrial users and consumers both cost escalation and uh, adverse income effect would not allow capacity utilization ratio to in- to improve and therefore investment will remain weak this is the macro economic dilemma that is there and uh, 
unless the other taxes begin to show much better buoyancy creating fiscal legroom for the government i see this as a major medium term challenge for the policy makers dr sharma you also believe uh, have a strong view on you know how this practice affects valuations of companies like bpcl and uh, let me let me just give a uh... Uh, of my perspective, as far as the stop and start uh, policy of the government is concerned, oil is, uh, con- I mean, uh, oil or uh, energy, they are considered to be the essential commodities and uh, government doesn't want to really completely get uh, the sector out of their hands because uh, any supply disruption impacts the country's uh, mobility and uh, health of economy. So that's why government always wants to keep the sector in, at least uh, to some extent, in uh, their hands. Uh, And uh, over the last six, seven years, if I compare between last uh, 20 years and the last uh, six, seven years, stop and start policy and uh, implementing oil sector reforms as far as the market price mechanism is concerned, if... uh, Let's say in the previous regime, uh, we had uh, uh, stop and start policy for uh, petrol, diesel, kerosene, LPG. So if if uh, I say that forty, I mean I mean uh, uh, the forty percent, uh, it was it was something like ninety uh, percent. Uh, uh, the control was uh, there in the government and on the pricing was there. But uh, for the last uh, five, six, uh, six, seven years, uh, as the prices have become comfortable, government had uh, given, uh, yes, uh, freedom to the companies, accepting that uh, they would have uh, about uh, something like uh, 10 to 15% uh, price, uh, price uh, stop and start uh, uh, kind of uh, controls and all. Now, BPCL is a different issue. What is happening for BPCL is uh, the disinvestment of BPCL. Now, BPCL is, uh, to my mind, because I've handled BPCL uh, for about uh, 15, 20 years, and uh, BPCL is one of the best managed company in the country. It's much better managed than any other corporate if you have a look at the profile of BPCL. Now, why it has not been able to disinvest it even government is talking about uh, talking about its uh, disinvestment for last two years i mean to to my uh, understanding also i mean it's quite uh, surprising that why bpcl's uh, market valuation still remains at uh, a price to earning ratio of uh, 4 4.5 the best ever uh, company in the country the price-to-earning ratio of 4.5. They have given the best-ever dividend, but yes, uh, market value doesn't go up. Even though its actual market value, given all the some 200 assets, would be more than, uh, uh, I mean, it it can't be imagined, it could be more than 10 lakh, 15 lakh crores. uh, I mean, one one has to assess it in terms of uh, the assets on the ground, land value and uh, the value of uh, different uh, refineries and the marketing installations. But still market puts uh, it so undervalued uh, that uh, yes, the government can't uh, take decision. I mean, if you your market uh, discounts uh, the valuation for one of the best managed country co- company in the country, Yes, government has to still sit back and think why it is happening. At the same time, the private sector company, its price-to-earning ratio is uh, hovering between 27 to 30 or so. So why this uh, kind of uh, market valuation is uh, there for uh, one of the best managed company in a public sector as and also, the, uh, yes, I, I consider the, the private sector company also to be a better, good, well-managed company. But yes, why there's such a difference in price-to-earning ratios? So yes, these are the, some of the market speculations which really uh, stop government uh, to take a decision that yes, you can't sell 
a diamond at a penny 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 stocks and all so that that's so they, there are some problem yes the market have to really consider its appropriate valuation otherwise yes things really would not happen and the government would also keep holding on to its asset till the time government also doesn't get the right price so we've coming to the end of our show we'll just take a couple of more questions that i wanted to pick your brains on in the bigger picture uh, one is that you know we have a election code of conduct right a model code of conduct to be followed once elections are announced whether it's assembly or uh, central government elections so which normally says that you know you will not give special sops to voters you will not announce fresh schemes in the middle of an election campaign and so on but should this sort of also you know take into account a reversal or deferral of administrative routine administrative decisions like for instance your oil price revision or the revision of small savings rates which was last year for instance was dropped in the after being announced uh, because there was again several assembly polls on so do you think this needs a larger debate on the uh, applicant applicability and coverage of the model code of conduct i would like both of you to come in perhaps dr shivastav first well i think this uh, is of course desirable uh, but it cannot happen unless the decision of determining the price intervention goes to some independent body as long as it is endogenous to the central government it may be very difficult to uh, uh, achieve this even though i think from a an economic angle or from the viewpoint of passing the correct signals it is desirable so i don't think that uh, this is something that would happen unless government gives up uh, 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 or sets up an an independent uh, committee that determines these the mechanisms for the determining of the retail prices that i don't think any government would be willing to give up this whatever little leg room they have even if it is 10 15% i don't think they are going to give it up my perspective uh, is really to while these are very critical issues in the short run is to develop a stra- proper medium term growth strategy in which taxation of petroleum products is a very critical ingredient and we have i think three perspectives from which this should be examined one is that petroleum products are also very highly polluting and therefore we have a longer term trend of uh, increasing tax burden on Uh, consumers as well as industrial users of petroleum products which is justified on grounds of uh, taxation of pollu- polluting inputs and outputs uh, but that is something that should be determined its long term path should be determined similarly as long as we are seeing this prospect of continued high dependence in spite of this Uh, move towards non-conventional energy sources and so on. The longer-term trend is that we our dependence has continued to increase, and oil prices have also continued to increase. So obviously, it is other uh, tax sources where we have to really increase our tax GDP ratio. And if you look at India's tax GDP ratio, they have been stagnant. for more than 30 years from late 80s early 90s they have not been able to cross combined central and state 17% of gdp non tax revenues have stagnated in the range of 2 to 3% for more than 70 years in that kind of context the leg room to manage this major economic challenge to which we are vulnerable to global developments uh, is not something that i think uh, government is really developing the necessary perspective on and unless that is done we will be uh, really 
डीलिंग विद वेरियस वर्जन स्टॉप एंड गो डॉक्टर शर्मा यू कुड ऑल्सो गिव सेंस ऑन द एनर्जी ट्रांजिशन पेट्रोलियम प्रोडक्ट्स आर द इजिएस्ट वे आई मीन दे आर द इजिएस्ट कमोडिटीज फॉर द फाइनेंशियल रिसोर्स और द रेवेन्यू कलेक्शन आई मीन वन डजेंट द गवर्नमेंट डजेंट हैव टू बोथ बॉदर अबाउट दैट यस यू विल हैव टू टेक सर्टेन एक्शंस टू कलेक्ट money or uh, revenues or taxes from uh, petroleum sectors like other sector we are uh, like other uh, companies also largely because uh, they also happen to be the government companies uh, contributing to the to the revenue generation so yes it's one of the easiest and the peaceful way of uh, collecting revenues and all besides that of course uh, that's one part uh, uh, but then uh, you see uh, uh, if we Uh, I mean, overlook at uh, the resource. I mean, financial resources or revenue collection. Uh, why government still uh, wants to control the oil and gas sector is basically because uh, they are all essential commodities, and obviously the price impacts the spiraling effect of price impacts uh, quite a lot on ec- economies and all. like i just give an example that the nickel prices went up shot up uh, two times within no time of some two three days or so so i mean uh, that that's uh, the reason why the government wants to have control on uh, some of the sectors which are uh, essential uh, goods uh, for the economy and uh, yes i think every government would uh, like to do that uh, uh, to my my understanding uh, now coming to the alternative resources uh, uh, what is happening is that uh, i mean i had been uh, one of the uh, one of the person who had been pushing the alternative resources and uh, i had uh, yes of course created couple of groups also between uh, the oil ministry and renewable energy ministries uh, secretaries and all you see what's happening is that if we just have a look at uh, the oil sector planned outlays uh, it varies between 1 lakh crores to 1.25 lakh crores uh, per year but if you have uh, the planned outlays for uh, the renewable energy uh, sector uh, yes uh, the expenditure may not be so high so i mean what uh, i had been uh, i mean pushing on i mean i've been telling government that yes the existing oil companies or the existing energy companies which are flushed with money should mobilize at least 20 to 30% of its financial plan outlays into the new areas of renewable energy yes sir. they are talking about it but then the way uh the 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 creation of uh, renewable energy capacity build up uh, should happen that has not happened we were talking about 175000 megawatt of solar and wind and uh, renewable energy by tomorrow uh 2022 but uh, as of today we are still at 1 lakh 5000 megawatt uh, so yes uh, government should uh, uh, focus upon uh, creating alternative uh, uh, energy resources they should be higher plan outlay they should be higher expenditure because till such time government uh, really pushes uh, these companies they the 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 companies would uh, always remain in their original mode of uh, the existing business activities uh, so that's an area where the uh, so people are talking about hydrogen people are talking about uh, biomethanization biomass to uh, ethanol biomass to uh, methane but then uh, the uh, the providing policies are required so that and also the administrative mechanism is required like uh, bio biomass to energy now it's such a huge subject uh, there are uh, number of uh, ministries involved now till such time you have a governing body or a governing ministry for biomass sector or bioenergy sector things would uh, keep happening in uh, uh, 
in uh, some small uh, spaces only. So until and unless you have a coordinator, things uh, really don't happen in a big way. Like we created SECI, Solar Energy Corporation of India in 2013. And once it was created, yes, uh, they could uh, uh, push up the solar sector and we are having 45,000 megawatt of solar capacity. So accordingly, I mean, the bioenergy government should create a bioenergy ministry also so that, yes, that takes up the issues, creates policies and and develops whatever resources are there to reduce import dependence. Sir, this has been an enlightening chat for me and I know this subject uh, has layers within layers and we can possibly go on speaking for hours, but uh, I do certainly uh, hope that our readers will uh, relish readers as well as listeners will relish the insights that you provided and the big picture perspective. Uh, also, clearly, I think the consensus is that uh, this, while we do resort to short-term uh, techniques to deal with, you know, price rise and rate, we don't seem to have the bigger picture vision or the implementation plan to whether it's in terms of managing the macroeconomic uh, dependence on oil and the revenue dependence on oil, or whether it's the diversification from oil to other critical energy sources. Uh, though we hear a lot about them, I think what I'm gleaning from uh, Dr. Sharma's point of view is that we seem to operate in silos and we often don't have this integrated energy approach uh, that we possibly need in the longer term for greater macroeconomic stability. I really, really, again, uh, want to appreciate the time that you've taken out and uh, spared for us on this podcast. And I do hope to have both of you again, future editions of the Parley and our other products. Thanks again so much, Dr. Shivasta, Dr. Sharma. Thank you. Thank you.